Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. My name is Pete. I am one of the pastors here. I am super glad to be preaching today. We are in a mini-series that we are calling Roots and Branches, and the big idea for our series is that you are made to live connected to God so that we can grow and bring God's presence and love and healing into the whole world. That's where we've drawn our series title and our graphic from, and it is a concept so central to my life that I have leaves tattooed on my arm to remind me about how this works. As we sink our roots into God's love and presence and power, we grow and become mature, some of us less than others, and our lives change the world. And it is our hope that through hearing Scripture and hearing about practices that have helped those of us preaching experience this life, you can experience this life more and more as well. We're mostly preaching from John 13 to 17, which is known as the Upper Room Discourse because it happened upstairs. This is Jesus in his final hours. This is his last communication with the people he loves, pouring his heart out and teaching them what is most important. And the way he starts this is by washing their feet, showing them that it is God who serves us and that as we follow Jesus, we are called to serve. And he tells them that he is the way to God and that by seeing him, they can see who God is. That's who God is. We look at Jesus and that's what we see. And then Jesus says that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit who is never going to leave them and who's going to guide them into all truth. And that message leads to Courtney's passage from last week. In John 15, Jesus says that he is the true vine and he calls us to stay connected to Jesus. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. And he says again, remain in my love. And he gives all of us who follow Jesus something that he says is a new command. He says to love each other. Now, here's the thing. The idea of loving everybody seems nice, right? But then you look around and think about loving actual people. And that's the hard part. Amen? That's the hard part. It's an amazing command for Christians to love each other. I've been watching a lot of YouTube historical battles lately because weird things happen when you're on YouTube. And oh my gosh, Christians have been terrible at loving each other for an incredibly long time. The disciples struggled with it while Jesus was present. We have had thousands of years of European wars among Christians, and today it is still hard. It's an amazing invitation. Today, as it was then, Jesus calls us to love one another. So many Christians today would rather not get involved or would rather just love their local circle or just the Christians like them. How do I know this is true? Because that's me too. It would be easier to do those things. But what Jesus wants is something more. He wants all those who follow him to love one another. And that kind of love changes the world. In chapter 16, Jesus shares from his heart about the sadness of his coming death and departure. But he comforts his disciples by assuring them again that the Holy Spirit's going to come and guide them into the truth. And that's what brings us to the passage I'm going to preach today from John 17. This is the longest prayer we have from Jesus, and I'm going to preach mostly from the end, but it's too beautiful to cut short. And so we're going to have like more reading of Scripture this morning than usual. Paul Mandel from our church plant, The Refuge Vineyard, is going to preach his final sermon here next week, and he's going to reference this chapter as well. And so let's read together. 
And I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to the prayer of Jesus? Amen. Verse 1. So after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that He can give glory back to you. For you have given Him authority over everyone, and He gives eternal life to each one you have given Him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know that you, the only true God, and Jesus, oh, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from the world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, and so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing the world. They're staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. That's Judas. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. So that is the first half of the prayer of Jesus, and it is so good. And this is Jesus's prayer for you. To start, Jesus prays something more important than anything else in the world. He prays about the path to eternal life. And he says this path is open to everyone who belongs to Jesus. He says everything that Jesus has, resurrection and eternal life, belongs to those who know and accept that Jesus comes from the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Could I get an amen there? Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the center of our faith. And that is the path to a life that goes into eternity. Through Jesus Christ, we're set free from death. Through Jesus Christ, we can be set free from the fear of death. Today is a great day to believe. Whether you've been a believer since you were little or whether this would be your first time, whether you are full of faith or full of doubt, today is an awesome day to trust Jesus, the Son of God who serves and prays for you and lives at the right hand of the Father. Jesus goes on to pray for our protection and safety in a broken world. Does anybody else need protection in a broken world? Is it just me? Like the world is so screwed up and it's so hard sometimes. And sometimes I'm the one who's screwed up, right? Sometimes it comes real close to home. Thank you, Jesus, for your prayer. Not only that, Jesus prays that we would be sent into the world the way Jesus was. 
Jesus' prayer is that you and I would be in our neighborhoods and families and communities just like Jesus Christ was, children of God, connected to the Father, sent to love and serve. Jesus' prayer expresses the heart of God for how we, both as individuals and as a community, are called to live. We are sent by God. We are ambassadors of reconciliation, the Bible says, and we are sent to bring God's love to the world. That's why we have a Thanksgiving giveaway. That's why we, like, love to express the love of God. That's the purpose he's sending us into the world for. That brings us to the second half of Jesus' prayer. And so we're going to read from verse 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, But I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Amen. I love that Jesus prays for us. And Jesus makes it super clear here. He is praying for all who will ever believe. Have you managed to ever believe at any moment in your life? If you have, this prayer is for you, for you and me and the whole family of God. And he prays most especially for two things, that we would be united as the family of God and that we would be in God and God in us just as powerfully as that was true for Jesus. And that relationship, which is called often mutual indwelling, living within one another, Jesus in the Father, the Father in the Son, God in us, us living in God, that relationship is meant to be a message to the whole world. Jesus prays that our unity as believers would be so perfect that the whole world would know Jesus is Lord and God loves us. And then those of us who love Jesus will see his glory. So how does this happen? How do we become able to love one another through all our differences and brokenness? How do we learn to live in God and God to live in us. There's good news here. Jesus says he will reveal himself and will keep on doing so. And that leads to the climax of this prayer that God's love for Jesus would be in us and Christ himself would live within us. And so the way we share the message of God with the world is to be filled with God's love and filled with the heart of Christ. That's the truth. You want to know how to share the message of God with people? It is to be filled with God's love and filled with the heart of Jesus Christ. That is the center of Christ's heart for us. You are invited to live your life in God who is love, and you are invited to have God who is love live within you. As Courtney 
mostly Courtney. Courtney designed this series, and Paul and I developed this. It was our hope to be of service to you in experiencing the life that Jesus prays for you to have. Each of us, in our own ways, have experienced this kind of life, imperfectly because the world's broken, but this is an actual real life that is meant to be yours. And we felt like one of the ways we could best be of service is by sharing our own stories and experiences of how this kind of life has worked itself out for us. My own story of learning to live in God and God in me started with God saving my life. God rescued me from addiction and suicide. I can't say anything better than that ever for the rest of my life. It's God who gave me everything that I've had since God saved my life. And God gave me a new start. And when that happened, I figured since I wasn't going to have any more life anyway, God gets the rest of it, the good and the bad, and there's been tons of both and everything in between. And so the start of life with God is giving God your whole heart and making Jesus Christ your Lord. And what that means, lordship, is that when God lets you know the way, you go that way. That's what I've done over the years with a lot of arguing, temporary refusal, and fear and trembling, right? Jesus being Lord doesn't mean doing everything perfectly or suddenly being able to live out the whole Bible all at once. I think that's the hardest way to make Jesus the Lord is to try to do the whole Bible. I would be glad to support you in that effort because I think it is a noble effort, but wow, have you seen how many pages are in that thing, okay? And do you know how many commands are in there? Do not worry, right? Don't want anything you don't have. I mean, there's some tough ones in there. Doing the whole Bible at the, hard at the same time is hard. Here's what I do think I can say for all believers. When you are 100% sure God is speaking to you, you go God's way, period. You can have all the doubts, you can have the false starts, you can have the twists and the turns, but in the end, he's the Lord, not us. Now, this doesn't happen super often to me. Uh, most often, God seems pretty open about where I go and what I do. I always want God to nail down the specifics, and God's usually like, yeah, you could go that way, I still love you, right? Which is not always what I'm looking for. But on rare occasion, I have experienced God's clear direction in where I live, where I work, in adopting my daughter's. Most recently, God made it clear to me I was to go to seminary and to be with my wife. When you invite God into your life, God will eventually say something to you. And I and so many other people here can testify, God's ways are the best. Amen? God is faithful. God is merciful. God is loving. You can trust God even when you can't see the way forward. And God said something like, do be a youth pastor, even though you've sworn to everyone you will never do such a thing and you don't want to, right? Even then. Give your life to God. Do what God makes clear for you to do, and it will go well with you. And I want to stop and lead us in a prayer right now of trusting God and giving God our lives. If you will pray along with me this prayer for the first time, poof, you are a Jesus follower and you are with us on the journey to eternal life. This is a great place and a great day to do that. We would love to celebrate that with you. If you want to pray this prayer for the first time, let us know on your connection card. And all the rest of us can re-up trust in Jesus. Amen? All the rest of us have our own challenges with giving God our way 24-7. And so let's pray that together today. So God, we just want to come to you and say thank you, Jesus, for revealing who God is. 
Thank you for your goodness, your love, your generosity, your presence, and your power. And we want to say that you are the Lord, not us. We give you our lives. We say, God, if you will speak clearly enough for us to hear, in the end, we will follow you. You are our God, not ourselves. Amen. So that's the first step to the life of mutual indwelling. After giving our lives to God, what can we do that helps us grow our roots deeper and live out that connection more fully? The answer may vary from person to person. I get to testify today about how God has helped me do this. The number one thing that has helped me experience and live out God's love after my conversion is one of the Ten Commandments. I have had some cool stuff happen in my life. I've experienced miracles. I've had prophetic words of encouragement spoken over to me that were like divine and powerful. I have spent myself on behalf of the poor. I've gone as a missionary to countries and continents, and I've been a pastor for 20 years now in one way or another. And I am saying these things because it is my hope that you will seriously consider adopting what has changed my life. Nothing has helped me live in God's love more than taking a Sabbath. A Sabbath is 24 consecutive hours of not working, 24 hours in a row, a day of not working. Here's how the commandment to take a Sabbath reads in Exodus 20. And listen to how many words this is, all right? Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. Look how important this is to God. God could have said, don't work one day a week, right? The rest of the Ten Commandments are pretty short and sweet. Don't murder. Super clear, right? Everybody on board, everybody managed to keep that one. We are at least a one commandment church this week. Say amen. You're worrying me, people. All right, good, good. All right. Uh, we're at least a one commandment church. Do not steal. Love God with everything you've got. These things naturally fit in our understanding. The Sabbath does not naturally fit in our understanding. I think it's the most countercultural command that God has ever given, and I think that's why it gets so much attention in Scripture. A few weeks back, I shared about the Exodus story, how the people of God were oppressed and enslaved, and what that looked like is they had to work harder and harder and harder. And I shared how Jesus said, there are only two masters you can serve, and you can never serve both. He says you can either serve God or money, and if you do, you will love one and hate the other. Nothing has taught me more about loving God than Sabbath. And nothing has taught me more about how money can't actually buy any of the important things. Unless you're starving to death and then it can buy something super important. Every week, I get 24 hours off as a gift where no work is expected of me. Where I am not just what I do or what I produce. And where I learn the world does not depend on me where I experience rest knowing it's a gift from God because that's who God is. 
Now, I started taking a Sabbath because I was way too busy. I was working full-time as a web systems administrator at the University of St. Thomas. I was pastoring quarter-time. That's 10 hours more a week. I was taking Vineyard Leadership Institute, which was another 10 hours a week. And I was serving on every team in the church that I was aware of. I was overseeing and serving on the janitorial team. I was leading the coffee team. I was working with the youth. I was leading a church growth team. And there was a whole bunch more. And I knew I was not going to make it. I was burning out. And that is when something awesome happened. I had been asking my boss to have Fridays off because I worked seven days a week and I don't like it. And they kept telling me, no, that's not how we do things around here. And then in a meeting, I mentioned to my boss, I would rather have Fridays off than a $10,000 a year raise. And he said, what? Right? And he began to advocate for me. And eventually, he was successful. And they gave me Fridays off, the first person in tech at the St. Thomas to do that. And I can't tell you what a gift it was. I made one rule for my Sabbath. You do Sabbath how you want to do Sabbath. Read your Bible, figure it out for yourself. I have one rule for my Sabbath. I don't do anything that feels like work. I happen to love grocery shopping. You have no idea how much I love the produce section. It's, it's deep. It's strong. It was my favorite place to take my kids till second grade when they wanted candy. Uh, and so I go grocery shopping on my Sabbath, and then I cook dinner for friends. And you know who cleans? Not me. It's really awesome, right? My Sabbath is beautiful. And I started keeping the Sabbath, and it has transformed my life so much, I actually doubt my ability to fully communicate it to you, but I'm going to try anyway. Over the years, I've switched my Sabbath day a few times. It's on, on Mondays now for the last decade. As a pastor, weekends are terrible for resting. Uh, Sabbath has sustained me through my work, through having a son and adopting twins, through a pandemic, through doing work and full-time seminary at the same time. I have faced the same challenges everyone else in this room faces to take a Sabbath. I know the temptation. You, O oh pastor, have no idea how busy my life is. What about my blank or my blank or my blank? Trust me, <laughs> it's been a ton, right? Uh, I don't think any of us has a super easy life. What this practice has done for me is so powerful. Every week, no matter how hard the week is, I have a day coming up where I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. I can always make it through just a few more days to get there. And every week I know that day is a gift from God. Not just an invitation, but a command. Every week I trust God that my life will not go off the rails because I take a day off. I trust that the church will not fall apart. My kids will not grow up to be delinquents. Yet. My laundry will somehow get done, all while I just enjoy a day. And every week I'm reminded of God's generosity and goodness. Every week I'm replenished and restored for the next six days that come. Now, like everything else in this world, my Sabbath is not perfect. My kids have meltdowns. My work includes things that require me on a Monday. If someone dies, I don't tell them, talk to me tomorrow, right? And sometimes everything goes wrong on the same day. Has that happened to anybody recently? Everything going wrong on the same day? That'll happen on your Sabbath once in a while. But wow, is it better when you know there's another Sabbath coming, that it's not every day, that it's not always. This practice has helped me learn on the deepest level I have that this is how God is and who God is. 
Our God is generous and good. And God gives gifts that bless us and change our lives for the better. And God's commands are good for us, not rules meant to make us have less fun. God made work and productivity, not so that we can grind ourselves into the dust, but so that we can be part of a cycle of work and rest that bless us and change the world. And I have gotten to learn these things with my heart as well as my head because of my day of rest. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 20, verses 19 to 20 says this, I am the Lord your God. Follow my statutes. Be careful to observe my ordinances and follow my Sabbaths that they may be a sign between me and you so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Taking 24 hours off every week has been a sign between me and God, and it has taught me to know what it means that he is my Lord. It means a better life, a life that includes rest and enjoyment as well as productivity. All week long, I carry inside myself a piece of what it means to be loved by God, and it has helped me love God through everything I've faced, and it has helped me love people better. When I take my Sabbath, I am more patient and I am more kind, and that is what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Now, I understand that for parents with kids at home, this is extra challenging. Here's how I have handled that. On my Sabbath, I go easier on my kids. I let them think they got away with crap. Maybe I bring it up tomorrow. I let them do more than I usually would let them do, and I spend less of my time challenging them. And I encourage them, have friends over, and I will make food you like so that we do not have to have any conversations about those things. And I want them to have a day that they enjoy with me. I can't command you to keep a Sabbath, but the Bible does. And Jesus affirmed the Sabbath. He said, we are not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for us. It's a gift from God to bless us. And so I want to invite you, consider doing what it would take to arrange your life in a way that gives you a full day of nothing that feels like work every week. It might take you some time to get there. It took me a while to get there. But this is a command that's worth putting in the time for because the benefit that you'll get out of it is a lot better than the work you'll have to do to get there. This is what has helped me remain in God's love and share that love of God with the rest of the world. And so I hope that you'll consider this practice as God leads you. I want to invite you to stand and the worship team to come back up here. Um, We're going to close with worship and prayer as we always do. Worship and prayer are the most important things that we can do as a community when we get together on Sundays. You know, the image of our series of us, both individually and collectively, trees with our roots sunk into God, bearing fruit that changes the world, that is at the heart of what we are after doing and being as a church. Love God, love people, change the world. I encourage you to put into practice the Word of God as we have received it, and here are three tips for putting the Word of God into practice, something to read, pray, and do. Number one, read John 17. And when Jesus says, I pray not only for these with me, but for all who will ever believe in their message, that is you, Jesus is praying for. Tip number two, ask God for a day off. Amen? 
Ask God for a day off. Tip number three, take it. Enjoy your day off. There's some real challenging homework for you this week. I would love to hear next week from those of you who do this. Um, if you're on the prayer team, could you come forward at this time? So we close by praying for folks and worshiping together. There is so much available in receiving prayer from other people. Sometimes the miraculous power of God shows up. We have two specific things I felt like God might want to do for people through prayer today. First off, if you feel like you are completely trapped in busyness and like rest is not even possible for you, if even your sleep has become unrestful, we would love to pray that you would experience freedom from the oppression of the enemy. We would love to pray that God would break through and set you free. And so come on up and have someone pray for you. And then the second thing we might pray for you today uh, is just a single